0: M-S-W-Media. welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. Today, Mo Brooks gets served. For the first time, a major league team brings pride colors onto the field. The dam is about to break on pushing the Biden administration on the filibuster. And the energy secretary says adversaries have the ability to shut down our power grid as the government recovers millions in cryptocurrency paid to the hackers of the Colonial Pipeline. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. And no, I didn't forget about the Rudy Giuliani tapes. So I'm just going to review them and put together stories. They're just coming out right now as we're recording this. Oh, Lordy, there are tapes. They're <laughs> really interesting, to say the least. Uh, very damning. Perfect, perfect phone call between Rudy and Biermach. So it, don't worry, I'm going to go over it. Going to go over it in super detail on Mueller she wrote this weekend. So stick around for that. And uh, I'll be talking later in the show. This is so cool to former federal and New York state prosecutor. He was actually. The assistant district attorney for Cy Vance, Uh, his name is Daniel Alonso, and we're going to talk about the Trump case in Manhattan. I'm going to have all the specific questions you all been asking me about Little Rico. And if you indict the organization, do any other people go to jail? And what's the Martin Act? And are they sharing information with the feds? I have so many questions and he answered them all. It's a really great interview. I can't wait for you to hear it. So that's later in the show. Yay. Yay. So much. And so much news. There is. And I have to let the cat out. Stand by. Okay. Who let the cats out? Meow. Me. 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 <laughs> hey, G, let the cats
1: out. Meow. <laughs> he had
0: to do his business. So he comes in and out of the studio. All right. So, man, let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today, besides Rudy, is that U.S. investigators have recovered millions of dollars in cryptocurrency paid in ransom to hackers whose attack prompted the shutdown of the East Coast Pipeline last month, the Colonial Pipeline. That's according to people briefed on the matter. And they came out and told everybody today in a DOJ press conference. Justice Department Monday has announced the details of the operation led by the FBI with the cooperation of the Colonial Pipeline operators. That's according to the people briefed on the matter. The ransom recovery is a rare outcome for a company that has fallen victim to the debilitating ransomware cyber attacks in the booming criminal business of ransomware attacks. The CEO of Colonial Pipeline, Joseph Blount, told The Wall Street Journal in an interview published last month the company complied with the $4.4 million ransom demand because officials didn't know the extent of the intrusion by the hackers and how long it would take to restore operations. Now, CNN has previously reported, reported that there are indications The individual actors that attack Colonial in conjunction with Darkside may have been inexperienced or novice hackers rather than well-seasoned professionals, according to three sources. One of the sources also cautioned against putting too much stock in U.S. government actions, telling CNN that the unique circumstances around each attack and level of detail needed to effectively take action against these groups is part of the reason there is no silver bullet, quote unquote, when it comes to countering ransomware attacks. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm on Sunday warned that very malign actors had the U.S. in their sights after attacks on a pipeline, government agencies and Florida water systems, schools, healthcare institutions, and even last week, the meat industry, and a ferry service to millionaires' playground, Martha's Vineyard. They attacked attacked the ferry service to Martha's Vineyard. (laughs) Yeah, the boat, boat, boats. (laughs) She says, even as we speak, there are thousands of attacks on all aspects of the energy sector and the private sector generally. It's happening all the time. That's what Granholm told Jake Tapper on State of the Union on Sunday and even said, yeah, our power grid is vulnerable to to cyber attacks. And and it's bad. It's bad news.
1: And that line, it's happening all the time. If that doesn't want to make you day drink, good Lord. This next story uh, is a good one. The representatives of Rep. Eric Swalwell, as you know, is a Democrat from California. They have finally served a lawsuit to Mo Brooks, Mr. Alabama from nineteen ninety six, alleging that he and other pro-Trump allies bear responsibility for the Capitol riot, that the Republican congressman said Sunday. Swallow had been trying since March to serve the suit on Brooks. Attorneys for the Democrats said last Wednesday they'd hired a private investigator to locate Brooks. Apparently Mr Brooks was hiding. Very hard to track him down, Mo. Uh he responded on Twitter, because apparently he's in a basement somewhere, saying, well Swallow finally did his job, served complaint on my
0: wife not exactly sure what that means ag Mm, well i don't know who's serving what on whose wife but yeah (laughs) it just seems to be like hey mo it's actually on you uh it's just your wife was there to get it i just think it's funny it sounds like some high school thing where mo's like i'm gonna serve
1: you and swall was like i served your wife okay (laughs) (laughs) he alleged that the Democratic lawmakers team illegally trespassed in the process, though, accosting my wife, he said. He didn't elaborate further, though, he added. More to come. Okay, that was what uh, Mo Brooks said. He's a man of really intelligent words. Philip Andonian, another attorney for Swalwell, told CNN that allegation that the papers were served improperly was untrue. Kaiser added he looked forward to, quote, reading the papers should Brooks contest the matter in court. I have a feeling he will contest it because
0: apparently he thinks it's illegal and they served his wife. They probably knocked on the door and she answered and they said, you've been served. That's probably what happened. happened. Yeah, because she opened the door. Hmm. Trespassing, accosted my wife. Okay, Mm -hmm. sounds like she's done with you, too, Mo. Uh, I'm not, you know going to speculate any further but uh, she answered man. the door and took the papers for you and i tell you what every time like mtg or you know
1: i call her breitbart but it's bobert does something dumb mo brooks comes in and is like hold my beer and i'm like okay mm-hmm. mo yep it's a tw- it's a tight three-way race there for the dumbest gop on
0: that side which <laughs> would just be teaching like them chasing him around like hey mo hey mo like <laughs> <laughs> trying to get him served all right House progressives are getting fed up with efforts to accommodate Republican senators and Joe Manchin. Look for them to start demanding swift action and threatening payback because the White House is under growing pressure to accede to the left's demand to end the filibuster. That rule effectively requires, as we know, the support of 10 Republicans for most measures in the 50-50 Senate rather than a simple majority that most Democrats want. Democrats believe they have a narrow window to change voting rules at the national level to ensure they don't get swept out of power due to Republican structural advantages in 2022 and onward. According to Axios, one of the clearest signs of this coming confrontation is a tweet this morning by Rep. Mondaire Jones, Democrat from New York, a leading House progressive who criticized Joe Manchin for announcing his opposition to a sweeping voting rights bill passed by the House in March. That's H.R. 1. Jones tweeted Manchin's op ed might as well be titled While I'll Vote to Preserve Jim Crow. At the funeral for 2020 Rep John Lewis, you know, we know the civil rights icon, former President Obama tied the filibuster to segregation, calling it a Jim Crow relic And for a prominent Democrat to directly link Manchin to some of the most odious and racist laws in American history represents a new stage of the intraparty battle over voting rights. But progressives cannot end the filibuster without Manchin, although I disagree with this line because this is this comes from Axios. They, they say progressives can't end the filibuster without Manchin and neither can Biden. But you could end a specific filibuster on voting rights laws with a, with a handful of, of Republicans. So mm-hmm. just a, just a few to make up for Mansion and Cinema and anyone else who doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster. So we'll see what happens. but everything seems to be at a standoff right now and it looks like the dam's about to break with progressives.
1: Oh, it just makes me so nervous because I feel like we're it, like stuck between a rock and a hard place here is obviously we want to push him if we push him too far to the other side. All of a sudden, we lose the majority. Like, it's scary. We don't want Manchin to go vote Republican. You know what I mean? But we've got it somehow. I don't know how to get him in line with this. It's just hopefully someone has an answer. Um, And until then, I'm going to tell you some positive news. Um, We're going to move to sports, but it has to do with the LGBTQ community. So I don't know if you know this, but for decades, um, Major League Baseball teams have hosted promotional days to celebrate their LGBTQ fans. Wrigley Field held them in the early 2000s, and Pride Night soon proliferated in stadiums across the country. So, this season, only one team, the Texas Rangers, does not have a Pride celebration of some kind in its schedule. I don't know why I'm not surprised by that. The other 29 teams typically have an LGBTQ dignitary throw out the first pitch or sing the national anthem. They fill team store shelves with merchandise that includes rainbow colors, where team colors normally would be. Sometimes club officials express their support in pregame speeches or videos, but rarely, if ever, do players participate. As with most promotional days, the players' job is to play. The organization takes care of the fanfare. Well, On Saturday, for the first time in Major League history, the players were involved. The San Francisco Giants, also apropos, uh, <laughs> debuted hats with Pride colors in their logo and Pride colored SF patch on their jerseys. An unprecedented on field expression of support for LGBTQ fans and one that requires participation of the players. Major League Baseball players are, by and large, more conservative than their counterparts in the NFL and the NBA. Anyone spending time in a Major League clubhouse in recent decades could hear more than a handful of gay slurs tossed around with no one stepping in to say they shouldn't be, even as diversity and inclusivity training has become more prevalent. Now, no player has been openly gay during his time in major leagues which is really interesting to me soccer has been one of the most pro lgbtq in my in my opinion i remember the the games last year with the us national team men and women they all had rainbows in their numbers on the backs of their jerseys it was really nice to see and this is different than corporations and i just want to point this out you know corporations that you know cowtail to the lgbtq community when they're silent the rest of the year is infuriating. But when sports gets involved, there's something about getting rid of the homophobia within sports that holds so much power so that young athletes can see themselves represented. So this means a lot to me. And I'm glad Major
0: League Baseball is at least taking a step in the right direction. Yeah. And speaking of soccer, go men's team. Heck yeah. Right. right? I know. That was awesome. Andrew Torres, actually, co host of Opening Arguments and also our, you know, co host with me on Cleanup on l 45. He flew out to San Francisco for this occasion. He was at that ball game. Nice. It, it's a big, it's a big deal. And, you know, especially like you said, Dana, and particularly with Major League Baseball, they've been very, they're very conservative. So yeah. this is, this is um, big. All right. We will be right back with former New York State prosecutor Daniel Alonso, former chief assistant DA to Cy Vance. And, and we're going to discuss the ins and outs of Little Rico, what it can mean for people with the last name Trump. So stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison Gill. And today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional, convenient licensed therapy online securely. Life is an amazing, precious gift. I'm so grateful for every single day. But sometimes life can throw you a curveball. You can get a lot of anxiety. It can be stressful or difficult. And sometimes overwhelming. But the great thing is when speed bumps come up, we don't have to face them alone. So if you're dealing with anything preventing you from living a happy, fulfilling life, I really recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp provides professional counseling to help you navigate challenges. And it's not a crisis line or self-help. It's it's licensed professional therapy done securely online. They assess your needs and then they match you with a licensed professional therapist that you can start talking to in less than 24 hours. You know, I've had my own challenges with anxiety and post-traumatic stress. And I know how important and how hard it is to seek help. Uh, But it's so much better than taking it on by yourself. And I love how convenient BetterHelp services are. They're available to you worldwide. You can log into your account anytime from anywhere and send a message to your counselor and you get really great, thoughtful responses. And you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions too. They're committed. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating really great therapeutic matches, which is so important to the process. And that's why they make it free and easy to change your counselor if you want to. And it's more affordable than traditional counseling and financial aids available. So visit their website and read testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user ER, who says, Lindy has been such a great counseling match for me. She takes time to listen, provides professional and non-judgmental feedback, and she provides goals to focus on for us to keep track in our sessions. She's quick to respond and even checks in on me periodically via messages between our sessions. So everyone visit betterhelp.com dailybeans. That's BetterHelp with a P-H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You get 10% off your first month. At betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, joining me today is an actual former Manhattan DA and a, a corruption specialist. Uh, now he's a white collar defense attorney, and uh, he's here to answer some questions about what's going on with the Manhattan DA slash New York Attorney General investigation into the Trump organization. Please welcome. Daniel Alonso. Daniel, hello.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: I'm so grateful to talk to you. Our friend Ellie Honig referred me uh, to you because we had some very specific questions about New York state law and how it uh, applies to this uh, investigation and now special grand jury and paneled by Cy Vance in, in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And I wanted to start by asking you about the New York version of RICO racketeering, because we have we have a Daddy RICO, we have a federal RICO law, but it operates a little differently than, than the New York state what they call Little RICO. Can you talk a little bit about that particular statute?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so we call we call in New York the racketeering law uh, OCA, which is short for Organized Crime Control Act. It's actually technically called enterprise corruption, and it's one of many so-called Little RICOS around the country. Uh, most states have them patterned after RICO. New York, as you may or may not know, likes to chart its own course. So I wouldn't have expected New York's racketeering law to look like RICO. And in fact, it bears a resemblance to RICO, but it has a lot of significant differences and frankly, limitations uh, for the for the prosecution. Uh, actually, also for private citizens, you may know that RICO has a private cause of action. You can actually sue somebody for RICO, even if you have nothing to do with the government. Uh, there's a lot of exacting elements there. People often get it wrong, but Rico has a private right of action. OCA does not. It's strictly a criminal statute that is made to meant to prosecute uh, people, individuals and companies. So the the biggest difference I would say is that while Rico requires or Rico uh, allows a an action to be brought if somebody participates in the affairs of an enterprise, which is a very loosely defined thing. It can just be a few people associated, in fact, even though they're not a legal enterprise. RICO allows that. In OCA, they were worried about just having legitimate enterprises or associations, in fact. So they made the requirement that it has to be a criminal enterprise. Uh, and they were thinking, of course, of Cosa Nostra, properly known as the mafia, uh, You know, which, which is a, a criminal organization. Obviously, there are a lot of other criminal organizations in this world, street gangs, narcotics, uh, you know, rings, uh, but the definition of criminal enterprise is a little broader than that. And so we've brought many, we brought many Ocas when I was in the DA's office and, and other offices that brought them as well that have more loosely associated uh, criminal enterprises, but they still have to be separate from, um, you know, just a legitimate enterprise. They have to be their own criminal enterprise with criminal purposes. So even, so like if you have a a, a legitimate business, you have to allege a criminal enterprise that's not that legitimate business. It can be a group of people in that business who have gotten together. And of course, similar to RICO, they have to have a little bit of a a continuity of existence beyond just the individual acts. But they have to be their own enterprise. So I'll give you an example. Years ago, I brought a case uh, which was systemic corruption in a city agency. And so the city agency had its own hierarchy. These were uh, sanitation agents. Uh, so they had lieutenants, they had sergeants, they had, had you know uh, underlings, and but we couldn't allege that the that the Department of Sanitation was the enterprise. We had to allege this separate group that we just sort of called this Manhattan group of sanitation agents who were engaged in a widespread corruption scheme, and they were the criminal enterprise, and they were operating the legitimate enterprise, which is the sanitation department, through this pattern of criminal activity. So the distinction between those two is something that does not happen in RICO. So that's probably, the, I'd say, the key difference. Um, the other one that people tend to focus on, which which is significant as well, is that it requires, uh, OCA requires three pattern acts versus two with RICO. Uh, with RICO, they have to be uh, you know two within 10 years of each other. With OCA, it has to be three. I think two have to be in the last five years, and none can be, they have to be within three years of each other, and they can't go back any more than 10 years. With RICO, they can go back forever as long as the latest one was within 10 years, uh, 10 years of the next latest one. So, you know, it's it's all these very, very complicated uh, requirements. But the bottom line is, you know, OCA is just more restrictive uh, is, is, the, is the best way I can put it.
0: So in order for this to apply to the Trump Organization, you couldn't indict the Trump Organization for OCA or R- Little Rico. Because just like you couldn't indict the sanitation department, right, because that's a legitimate enterprise. But if you've got a couple top officers, I don't know, Weisselberg, Trump, Trump Jr., who are, uh, you know, conspiring to defraud New York state tax man, and they've done it three times in a specific amount of time. Does that sort of apply? Is that why people are talking about bringing uh, little RICO charges here in this particular case?
2: Well, people, people are doing a lot of speculating, which is a little bit what you and I are going to be engaged in uh, today as well. But uh, interestingly, I believe the only advantage OCA has over RICO is that you can actually charge the the enterprise um, that is corrupted. Uh, as a defendant, whereas, whereas in RICO, you can't under the person enterprise rule. So it just has to be people, people participating in the affairs can be, can be charged in, in OCA, you can charge um, a, an enterprise for participating in the affairs. Um, but the, the uh, reason people are talking about a Trump organization is that it is in fact an enterprise, it's a legitimate enterprise. If what Michael Cohen is saying is correct, and some of the things that have been tossed around, uh, then perhaps. You have a criminal enterprise within it, right? Presumably, not everyone is corrupt within this organization, but uh, but if, if what he's saying is right, there's some group that's falsifying accounting records in order to get either, you know, pay less less in taxes or to uh, to make more money with uh, with loans. Um, I will say that, like Rico, um, tax fraud is not a predicate of Farooka, so you know, tax crimes by themselves, and they have to be felonies, uh, uh, you know, generally you have to have a felony to be to be a racketeering act. Uh, you uh, the tax fraud under New York law and tax fraud under federal law doesn't doesn't apply tax evasion.
0: OK, so it wouldn't be the tax issues that would cause anybody to be charged with oCA It would have to be something else, presumably.
2: Yeah, it could be. It could be uh, fraud, uh, you know, as long as you ha- make out those patterns, which, again, under New York law are more exacting for prosecutors than, say, mail fraud or bank fraud under federal law. Uh, scheme to defraud in New York has just a bunch of additional elements to it. Uh, or it could, be, you know, it could be theoretically larceny. It could be insurance fraud. Those are all potential pattern acts under OCA. Uh, it could be a, a, a very favorite one of fraud and corruption prosecutors in New York is the crime of falsifying business records. So if you falsify business records and you do that with intent to defraud, and part of that intent includes the intent to commit another crime, which could be tax fraud, then you've got a felony. And that's a, an OCA
0: pattern. Act. Ah, OK, so the tax violations on their own don't qualify, but, uh, but fraud, uh, business fraud, the falsifying business records, et cetera, if they are in furtherance of another crime like a tax fraud that's not a felony, then it does count towards. Yes, us.
2: and there are other there are other laws that are, you know, there I'm not naming them all residential mortgage fraud, too. I don't know if they're doing that, but that's that's one thing that Manafort definitely did. So who knows what's going on? with the Trump organization. I will say one interesting thing, which you may have noticed in what I'm saying, is I'm not calling them uh, racketeering acts for state uh, law because the New York law, OCA, Enterprise Corruption, nowhere uses the term racketeering. Whereas under uh, RICO, it's a pattern of racketeering activity. Under OCA, it's a pattern of criminal activity. And they're called pattern acts, not predicate acts. I see. You know, this is very inside baseball stuff, but... I'm,
0: no, yeah. it's an important distinction. And uh, I think what I'm understanding... Is that you say the org, the organization itself, can be charged under OCA? Then a lot of people are asking if they only charge the organization, does that mean nobody goes to jail for that particular crime?
2: If someone only, but by the way, you can charge organizations with regular crimes too. It doesn't have to be this crime. But yeah, if if an organization is charged, then the organization is the defendant, and the organization uh, is who is either convicted or not. And, and if convicted, can be punished through, you know, fines and conditions on probation, which could include, you know, monitors or things like that. But uh, but it's it's yeah, that, that's basics of corporate criminal liability is that that's separate from individual liability.
0: Can the individuals also, though, be charged under OCA if they participated? I mean, is that usually how it goes?
2: That's usually how it goes. Yeah. It's usually individuals that are charged sometimes it's companies. It, it's 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 both. But it's never I've never seen it. It's just a company. That that would be rare for for an open charge.
0: Okay. That's that's good to know. I think that's what everybody was kind of worried about. People are very worried that Trump and his kids are not going to go to jail. That's that's sort of where all the basis of all these questions come from. I also wanted to ask you briefly about something else that public reporting and, and reporters are talking about or speculating that prosecutors could be looking into. And that's something called the Martin Act. Can you briefly describe what that is and whether or not it applies here in this investigation?
2: Yeah, I mean, the Martin Act, the Martin Act is is New York's blue sky. It's part of New York's blue sky law, which is with these were enacted in the 1920s uh, to to deal with various issues of, of trading and securities. And this is enacted notably before the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934, or the Securities Act of 1933. So we had no SEC, we had no securities laws nationally, and but states had enacted these so-called blue sky laws. So the Martin Act, it's actually quite archaic in the way it's drafted. And it's basically the, the part we're always talking about, uh, which is it's either a misdemeanor or a felony to just make false statements in connection with sale or offer for sale of securities. Something I mean, has to be a security uh, though under under the law. So you know, I, I don't, it's not obvious to me who is issuing or selling securities here. One area, perhaps, given that it's a real estate developer, is they may be selling membership interests in some of the special purpose vehicles that they use for, for development, but I'm completely speculating. Mm. Uh, other than that, I don't I don't know what securities offering there there may or may not have been. Martin Act is a, is a powerful law. People People, you know, a lot of like defense lawyers and security lawyers don't like it because it's very, very broad. It's not a fraud law. It's a false statements law. And and that makes it a less exacting standard for the prosecutor. But it's got there has to be there have to be actual securities involved.
0: Ah, okay, That makes sense then, because I I couldn't quite tie them together either. Uh, And so but that's that's interesting. You bring it, it has to be securities. I do have just a couple more questions for you about federal crossover, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Of course. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, Beans listeners, it's AG, and this segment of the pod is sponsored by Monk Pack. They make snacks that taste amazing but have close to no sugar and carbs. You know, I'm always on the lookout for a good healthy snack because in the past, healthy snacks have gotten a bad reputation because they don't taste very good and they don't satisfy you. And I am a snacker. I like to graze all day, and that is why I'm so glad I found Monk Pack. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. So they're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle or just a healthy lifestyle in general. And they're the perfect snack for anyone who wants to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing amazing taste. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have that perfect balance of sweet and savory. They have a good crunch that, you know, that crunch that you want because they have whole seeds and nuts, uh, but they still manage to be soft and chewy. I love them. And they come in delicious flavors. Like my favorite right now is caramel sea salt. Oh, it's so good. You have to try it. And it's filling and satisfying. They're perfect for a quick snack. I like to grab one right after I work out to get that, you know, that nutrition back in my body to keep my energy up. And in addition to being keto friendly, they're also gluten free and plant based. They're non-GMO, no soy, no trans fats, no sugar, alcohols, no artificial colors. I'm really I'm kind of obsessed with these bars. I like to keep my house fully stocked. So I signed up for a subscription to my favorite flavors, which saves me 10 percent on every order. And the ships come right to my house. And getting these delicious treats delivered on a regular basis has been a complete game changer in my effort to eat healthier. So try it for yourself and you'll see. And uh, when you do, we have a special deal. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. And they're so confident in their product, Monk Pack is backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange it or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's dot com. Select any product, enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout, and you'll save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking to Dan Alonso, uh, who was the chief assistant DA, by the way. to right right-hand man for, for Cy Vance. And something that I think is of note is that a lot of these OCA uh, violations, crimes, charges, or, or considerations, cases have to have like personal attention by the DA, chief assistant DA. And so, you, you know, Dan, you dealt with a lot of these cases in the past. Is that right?
2: That's right. I, I both handled them myself and I approved a lot of them when I was the chief assistant. Yeah,
0: Yeah. this is this is so fascinating. I'm so glad you're talking to us today. So question about little federal crossover stuff, because There's a lot of laws I know that that uh, people are talking about that, you know, if on their face, if the public reporting is true, that seem to be federal tax violations like the uh, conservation easement for Seven Springs Estates, which says if you're going if you buy land and you don't develop it, you get this tax credit and uh, but you can't use it for personal use. And Trump claimed the tax credit, got a twenty one and a half million dollar credit for that, but has been using it personally uh, for the family. But that is I don't know if there's a, a New York state tax statute that is, is similar to that at all. And that's kind of why I wanted to start talking about whether or not or when the district attorney's office would share federal criminal information with perhaps Southern District of New York, Eastern District of New York, whichever jurisdiction federally is appropriate.
2: Well, cautioning that I'm not a tax lawyer or a tax expert, um, I, I will say that that does sound federal, given that it's, it's, a, it's a federal tax credit. There are state crimes for false filings with public authorities. I, I can't remember if they apply to federal federal filings, but it sounds more like this would be something for the federal government uh, to, to look at. Uh, I will say that, that you know, the DA seems to be investigating it. The attorney general seems to have had that as part of her investigation. So there are two possibilities that I see. One is that they come up with some other crime that is a state crime. In these kind of cases, they're always they're usually, assuming they're committing a crime, they're usually falsifying something. There's usually a, uh, an intentional false entry in a book, a record, an invoice, something, or a filing with, the, with the, the government. So that would be something they'd be looking at. In other words, what is the reality versus what they were either putting down in their own records or they were filing with a public entity. Um, that would be one possibility. The other possibility is if it really is a federal crime under the federal um, uh, tax law, you would... It would be normal to refer that to the federal, the federal government. Uh, It's a little odd when when there's if there's overlap in the facts between the state prosecution and the federal one, it can get a little messy, uh, but it's not unheard of. I mean, making a referral either way is is not unheard of.
0: Right. And we don't even have to be concerned about the dual sovereignty law that Cuomo recently signed. We've been talking about this on, on our show about whether it applies to Manafort, whether it applies to Bannon. Because from my understanding, from from what you and I have discussed previously, is that it's double jeopardy has never been a thing or not never, but for a while now hasn't been a thing for for tax fraud in in New York. Is that
2: right? Yeah. uh, Former Attorney General Schneiderman with the advance of support got the double jeopardy law amended to make it so that if there's a there was a court decision, which a lot of us didn't agree with that, you know, somebody got I think it was a -A 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 famous case. It might have been Leona Helmsley or something like that who was prosecuted for federal tax evasion, and then a subsequent prosecution for state tax fraud, which is a different tax return, a different sovereign you're supposed to pay the money to, a different filing, just two totally different acts. The court had held that that was double jeopardy. So that law got changed a few years ago. So that doesn't apply anymore. But more importantly, nobody's been put in jeopardy even once yet. So there's no, you know, there's, this happened in the Steve Bannon case, right? There's no double jeopardy there if the DA wants to now file charges against him because he was not put in jeopardy by the federal government before he was pardoned.
0: And and it works both ways. Uh, I, I should ask, does it work both ways, meaning New York can prosecute for state and then federal can prosecute for federal or federal prosecutes first and then state? Or does it one way?
2: Well, it always worked. It always worked. However, the federal government wanted it for the purposes of federal law. So there was never a, uh, a restriction on feds bringing charges after the state had done it, except for internal policy of the Justice Department called the petite policy. Uh, I can't remember as I sit here whether taxes are even implicated. Probably not because they are they're two different things. But if it's otherwise generally the same set of facts, you have to get a special approval and you have to really have an unvindicated federal interest. But it seems to me that if you're talking about state tax and then federal tax, that seems like a a natural candidate for it.
0: Yeah. And do you think I mean, I, I haven't heard. Tell or seen any signs that the Feds are going after any of these uh, tax crimes at this time?
2: Well, I don't know that we would see those signs. I mean, I guess sometimes there are external signs because witnesses get called to grand juries and you know legitimately you know tell people that they that they interviewed, but that often doesn't happen till later. So, if the federal government's looking at this stuff up in Westchester, they could be doing that completely covertly. They could be uh, cooperating with it with the DA, but. I, I, I don't know. Frankly, I'm surprised uh, that the federal government isn't more interested. I, I, I maybe that's because there isn't a Senate-confirmed U.S. attorney yet. There is, of course, the political football of this is a former president, and you know you don't want to be accused of some kind of sour grapes uh, or some kind of vindictiveness. It probably would be a special counsel, I would think. So, it's, it all a lot of things are wrapped up in there. But there's a lot of stuff the Southern District could investigate here, and I'll go further. If there are crimes here, and I I stress that I take no position on that, but if there are crimes here, they're better prosecuted in federal court. I love the DA's office. It's a fantastic place, but the laws are just broader for prosecutors uh, and stronger in, in federal court. So if I were Weisselberg and Trump and all, I wouldn't want the Southern District jumping in. The likelihood of conviction is higher. The possible sentences are higher. The hurdles to get to a conviction are fewer. Uh, I won't bore you with what they are, but it's just a lot. It's just easier uh, in, in federal court. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's hard to be a, a federal prosecutor, but it's easier.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we saw we saw Manafort go down heading up been pardoned, We saw him go
2: down for
0: multiple crimes.
2: He might have gone down in state court, too. I'm not saying state prosecutors have got have a long history of getting great convictions in white collar cases. Don't get me wrong. It's just a lot more work.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like it with everything you're telling me. Finally, before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about Trump's defense. Which, again, this is speculation, but I've generally heard corporation CEOs, their defense is usually, hey, uh, I don't look at any of that. My accountants handle all of that. I'm not. I have nothing to do with that. Have you ever seen an accounting firm have any kind of a document that has to be signed by an officer of an organization that, that says, hey, you want to take this tax deduction? We recommend against it for this reason and this reason. If you want us to go ahead with this, sign here, releasing us from all liabilities. Have you ever seen a document like that before? Or am I making stuff up in my head? Because this, f- this is what I feel like Mazars would have.
2: Well, it sounds a little bit like the certifications required under Sarbanes-Oxley uh, for public companies where the, I think the CEO and the CFO, don't quote me with that, but one or both of the highest officers have to certify the financial statements for every audit. And this was after the, the scandals of the early 2000s with uh, with corporate fraud with with big big public companies. Um, so that sounds a little bit like that. I am certain that tax preparers like Mazers, and that's a major tax endeavor to prepare the Trump organization's taxes. I'm certain that they have all sorts of documentation of what they've been told, whether they have a specific certification uh that says, you know, I I guarantee you that we're not lying to you. I doubt it strongly. Uh, but uh, and 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 I doubt even more strongly that if they had that, that Trump would sign it, right? I mean, I think that would be very unlikely. this is a guy who famously doesn't use email. I don't think he uses text very much, according to to some of the reports. So the idea that he would have something that basically says, you know, slap the handcuffs on me if this turns out to be intentionally false, uh, it strikes me as as highly unlikely. But it points out one of the many, many things we don't know about this case.
0: Yeah, and how would you generally try to disprove a CEO's Hands off, type of. How would you go after that?
2: Well, assuming I didn't have a year of undercover recordings of somebody, which I would prefer, or wiretaps, uh, I would want to flip the, C- the CFO. That would be my number one thing. Particularly hearing Michael Cohen tell everybody what the Alan Weisselberg theoretically knew and didn't, and how much Donald Trump spoke to him. This is all assuming that Alan Weisselberg committed any crimes, and Donald Trump did. So, so I'm I'm not I'm not assuming that, but uh, it's it's you know th- there's enough to investigate clearly. And if I wanted to, to show what Donald Trump's intent was, I would want to talk to lots of people who were talking to him. I would want to talk to have the CEO be a cooperator. And then I would want to know what he said in different places. Right, A lot of what fraud prosecutors do is compare representations to different places with each other. So even if you don't have an insider, sometimes you can bring a, a case and prove intent when you just got, well, it's just irreconcilable what you were saying in two or three or four different places. And sometimes that's that's other executives. Sometimes that's counterparties that they're negotiating with. Uh, Who knows who that is? But those are two kind of tried and true ways in the absence of emails, which we love. obviously.
0: All right. Well, and finally, people are worried that he'll say he's not competent to stand trial. Have you ever run into this from a CEO?
2: No, from a CEO, I've never run into it. I mean, when I was a young assistant DA, we would have these so-called 730 exams, all the time in, in criminal court to see if somebody was, was competent or in felony court. Uh, but no, I've never heard of it in a white-collar case for a CEO. And what's more is I, I can't imagine Trump making that argument with a straight face. He's, he, he may be a lot of things, but he's clearly competent. And I also can't imagine him, his personality, a- allowing that to happen. So no, I'm, I'm not worried about that at all.
0: All right. Yeah. his I don't think his ego will allow him to tell the world he's incompetent. But I hate this has been so enlightening. I really appreciate your time today. Can you tell everyone uh, where to follow you on on social media so they can keep track of
2: of your updates? Sure. I'm on Twitter. I tend to tweet about white collar crime, corruption. And right now, the race for Manhattan, D.A., which is the election is June 22nd. It's a big deal. So I'm at at Daniel R. Alonso, A-L-O-N-S-O.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate your time today.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: All right. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. You know, I love sleep. My sleep is so important to me. I've had many mornings after tossing and turning. I just dreaded getting up and all the coffee can't help you. But if you find yourself tossing and turning at night, the culprit might not be stress, you know, caused by the last four years of an administration. It could also be your mattress. I wasn't sleeping well uh, because my mattress wasn't designed for me in mind. So if you have sleep issues, I recommend you do what I did and go with Helix Sleep because Helix recognizes each of us sleeps differently and they customize the mattress to fit you and your sleep habits. They've created a sleep quiz online, takes two minutes to complete, super easy, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. So if you like a firm or a soft mattress or if you sleep on your side, like I was matched with the Helix Midnight, right, because I sleep on my side and I like a medium firm bed. So it's perfect for me. And you don't have to take my word for it. They were awarded number one best overall mattress pick in 2019 and again in 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty and you try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free. They will pick it up if you don't like it, but you will love it. Now Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for listeners at helixsleep.com dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com dailybeans for up to $200 off. And the show today is also brought to you by Caliper CBD. Self-care does not need to add to our stress. That kind of is the opposite of the goal. But since I started taking Caliper CBD, I've noticed marked improvement in my stress levels and sense of calm. I've had a lessening of pain and soreness after workouts. I'm able to fall asleep easier. And the best part of Caliper CBD is I get all the benefits without having to change my routine very much. That's the non-stressful part. It's so convenient. They've created an easy-to-use, more effective CBD powder, which is the only clinically proven fast-acting CBD. Rather than oils or tinctures that you have to hold under your tongue, Caliper created a dissolvable powder that delivers 30 times more CBD in the first 30 minutes versus oils and tinctures. So you get all the benefits in just 10 minutes, while some CBD oils can take over an hour. Caliper CBD was developed by food and science experts with decades of experience, rigorously tested for purity and quality. There's no weird taste, no oily residue. Uh, I love how easy it is for me to integrate the CBD into my routine. I put it in my morning coffee or a protein shake after a workout. Uh, and Caliper is always THC-free, so I can feel better without the disorienting high. I've had such a positive impact with Caliper CBD that my friends and family have noticed. And the great thing about Caliper CBD is it comes in convenient, easy-to-use packets, pre-measured to precisely 20 milligrams so you don't have to guess how much you're taking. It's all-natural, vegan, non-GMO, free of fillers and chemicals and artificial flavors. So get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. And if you don't love it, you get a full refund. That's tricaliper.com slash Daily Beans. And don't forget promo code Daily Beans for 20% off your first order. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news.
2: Well, we'll on good news is on the way.
0: All right. Good News Tuesday. If you have any good news you want to share, confessions, corrections, play What the Mutt, Find the Cat, Where's the Swear? We have all sorts of things. Hide the salami.
1: Nope. (laughs) Different podcast. Different podcast.
0: (laughs) Uh, If you have a dispute you want settled on Friday in Amy's Court with Amy Carrero, you can send all of that in by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. That's where you do that. Uh, I will kick us off with listener submitted good news today with a submission from Zachary. No pronouns given. Hello. Thanks for the name the town segment. Very funny. This message is in response to a submission a few days ago, perhaps also a confession. When the anonymous posters IDs as desert rat, my ears perked up at that point. And that might be relevant to me as the Antelope Valley High Desert is my hometown. As soon as the town, uh, I can't even, uh, Phelan was mentioned. Remember Phelan? What, what, Phelan? Phelan. Yeah. Ah, I burst into laughter. My colleague lives in Phelan. I often tease him. Hey, how's Yano or how's everything in Big Pines or asking if he needs to go to Hesperia for shopping? Just me being a snooty rep from the big metropolitan twin cities of Palmdale and Lancaster. Nothing like the good old Highway 138 humor at the morning water cooler. <laughs> First couple of times I asked, I had genuinely forgotten which town he moved to. Apparently, I was laughing so hard I didn't catch that the feeling high punch line. I didn't catch the feeling high punch line, which I later noticed when I played the segment back for a colleague. Such a missed opportunity naming a high school, even if they pronounce it Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the good laugh. Go high desert mavericks. I don't have any pets, so here's a hiking tip. An expansive photo of said desert, I think includes Felon, felon not Felon. Oh my God. Felin and Yano or Lano. I don't know. If you squint, you can see. Oh, God damn you, Zachary. I'm so glad you read this first one. The uh, Tehachepi Way in the back. If anyone needs some good hiking, head down Highway 138 to the nearby Devil's Punch Bowl. All right, that sounds. I think it might be Tehachapi. <laughs> you might be right, but it might be Tehachapi. <laughs> devil's Punch Bowl sounds like something on Urban Dictionary. It also sounds
1: like something that Brett
0: Kavanaugh did, and I don't want to know about it. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Ar- r- arrive early so you have time to avoid the heat and make it to the Devil's Armchair for a great view. Or if you're not a felon, haha, try the shorter mile loop and visitor center, then head over to Charlie Brown's. You can buy a dinosaur there. For an awesome shake, garlic fries, and buffalo burger, or whatever soda you can name under the sun. Note, photo view is from Mount Baden Powell, also a great hike, which allows you a 360 degree view, including Catalina Island in the opposite direction on a clear day. Cheers. Nice. Oh, a
1: dinosaur. And if any of you felt high listening to that, I'm sure Allison felt high reading it because it was very, <laughs> there was a lot of things to work out in that submission with the pronunciations. Oh, my goodness. All right. I'm, I'm sure they're going to keep coming. This next one's from RJ, pronouncing him. I'm filling, the filling. see, I'm filing this under misheard lyrics. But actually, this is a case where performers didn't get the words wrong. They just had no clue what they meant. In September 2000, I drove to Bismarck, North Dakota to see the old hippie duo Brewer and Shipley. They were in concert. Before singing their one-hit wonder, One Toke Over the Line, Mike Brewer said, One toke is the only song to have been performed in public by both the Grateful Dead and Lawrence Welk. It was hard to believe, but the Welk Archives are in a building just a couple of blocks from where I work, so I went to see the archivist. The archivist was about my age, so I said, do you remember the song One Toke Over the Line by Brewer and Shipley? Now, Mike Brewer says that this song was performed by the Lawrence Welk Show. The archivist was more than game to track this one down, as he could hardly believe it either. And it was true. He gave me a photocopy of Lawrence's playlist for the night and a copy of the first page of Gale's orchestration sheet for One Tote. That. But now it's on YouTube. I included the link because at the end, Lawrence Welk indicated that he thought that One Toke Over the Line, Sweet Jesus, was a gospel song. <laughs> so they didn't simply mishear the lyrics. They just had no clue what they meant. I hope this wasn't too long. And I hope this gives you and the crew a good laugh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) had no clue what one took over the line meant. Thought it was a gospel song. That's wonderful. Oh, thank you for that submission. That is good. Thanks, RJ. Uh, Next up from Anonymous, pronouns they and them. Hi, all. Love the idea of an AG in the UK. What about the Daily Beans on Toast? I think they might like that over there. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Yep. Uh, and I'll go ahead and take the next one too from Glenn. Pronouns he and him. I wasn't planning on writing again, but wanted to rectify a confidence shaker. Good news. One, the June 2nd show, AG pronounced Multnomah perfectly. Bad news. A letter from June 3 about some other M word apparently unduly shook AG to pronouncing Multnomah incorrectly. Good news again. The phrase I figure I had paid my debt to society by paying my overdue fines at the Multnomah County Library is available for reference in the Decemberist song California One Youth and Beauty Brigade. <laughs> Thank you. Podpet tax, Hudson in a Multnomah County windowsill. Oh, look at the baby. Hello, kitty getting sun. So cute.
1: Oh, yay. I got Jim in Albuquerque. I love when people are from Albuquerque. <laughs> it's my hometown. Uh, Jim in Albuquerque, pronounce he and him. Hello to Allison, Dana, and Amy from Congresswoman. Hello, a hooray, Melanie Salisbury country. Yay. Glad you can use your full name now. Allison, you keep up all the great work. Good news, I think, and weird for sure, from the mayoral electoral campaign here. Albuquerque's pro-king baby sheriff was harassed by a flying rainbow dildo at a recent campaign event. He's running for mayor. And in the best king baby, I refuse to speak or type the name of the former guy. So that's what they're saying. Pro-king baby sheriff. Hilarious tradition of having absolutely no evidence, he accuses the current mayor of possibly being involved. (laughs) And there is a link to this um, that literally says in the link, candidate interrupted by sex toy on drone punched at event. That's what the (laughs) link says. Both Sheriff Gonzalez and Mayor Keller are registered as Democrats, but Gonzalez is a fawning King Baby fanboy an anti-First Amendment type who favors brutal repression and protests if there's a kind of protest he dislikes. Keller is a popular first-term mayor who, with his new police chief, is working hard to clean up the mess they inherited from the previous Tea Party mayor and police police chief on whose watch the Albuquerque PD ended up with a DOJ consent decree For killing so many unarmed people who were economically disadvantaged, mentally ill, and or people of color. Jesus, Albuquerque, get it together. Mm. By the way, the first two episodes of Frank Fuglouzi's podcast at Bureau are outstanding. My wife Jan and I both worked in mental health and corrections and some extreme sociopaths and psychopaths. At one point, I had a half a dozen murderers on my caseload. Frank's exploration of the subject with the profilers is fascinating. Also, just joined a- Aisle 45 on Patreon so far, so excellent there too. Picture tax, you've already posted pictures of our cat Bolt, Rusty, and M. Penzi. So here's one of our son Chris and grandson Andrew, and two more of Andrew. Andrew was two in October and is on track to be a giant like his dad. For scale in this joint pick, Chris is 6'4".
0: That's a two-year-old? Wow. Holy majoli It's uh, almost look- half his body a so little cute. that is a one two, two, is that a ukulele yeah it's a ukulele oh my goodness oh, that last picture i hey. sure did look at that <laughs> smile <laughs> so cute oh thanks for that that's so great that's fantastic it's rainbow dildo oh mm. so and good of course accusing the former mayor of being involved in the rainbow dildo conspiracy oh. All right. Next up from Dennis, a.k.a. Denisio del Toro. I have amazing news for the Beans Queens and the entire legumiverse. Oh, that's new. Over the past few months, I did a few anti-Trump mischievous things like setting up Trump hugging the Russian flag campaign signs around polling stations during the election. (laughs) (laughs) Is that illegal? Uh, I also created the Melania Trump Who Gives a Fuck About Christmas song and video that you plugged on your show. But it appears a seed I planted months ago has come to magical and perfect fruition. I started a move on campaign to have my pillow removed from Costco. I thought only a few people would sign it. And boy, was I wrong. This thing took off and MoveOn reached out directly to me, asking (gasps) if I cared if they made it part of their main page. And we're going to blast it to all the move on members via an email newsletter i ended up getting 279,000 signatures. That's awesome. Uh, today, they sent me a note congratulating me on our successful campaign, and they informed me that Costco has, in fact, pulled my pillow from their stores and roadshows. Here is a link to the news story about Costco pulling Mike Lindell's shitty products from their stores. Please share the link to the successful move-on campaign I created. Now, I'm not foolish or self-centered enough to think I did this all on my own, but it's nice to know that a seed I planted grew to such a wonderful result. I'm beside myself in giddy laughter knowing I had a part in Maniac Mike's demise. It's a great reminder that an avalanche starts with the first flake of falling snow.
1: Oh, what a great submission, Dennis. And nice job.
0: Nice. A nice snowflake reference, Yeah, I
1: also really am
0: curious about Costco's roadshow now, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, what's that? (laughs) Is that where you bring in your Costco items and they tell you how much they're worth? (laughs) I don't know. That's so funny. Uh, I also don't know whose voice Wait, that was that just right came here? out of me. Yeah, hmm. I have some. Mm, let's see. I have some two thousand and six Kirkland almonds now. <laughs> Can I get these appraised? Can I get these appraised? What if these were the Costco Road Show? And then you get a a sample snack, and then you go on. <laughs> I have a giant
1: tub of red vines that are harder than cement. Can we use these for anything?
0: Oh, that's a good year, though. 1998 red vines. Very good vintage. Oh, yes. Mm. Ah. I will eat no red vines before it's time. Ah, all right. Well, thank you so much for this submission and congratulations starting the thing that got my pillow, you know, because the more money he loses, the happier I am. You know, yeah, I'm 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 that kind of schadenfreude. So if you, again, have any great news stories, good news stories, mediocre news stories, just news stories, anything you want to send in to us to share for this segment. Again, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana, I don't think you'll be with us tomorrow, right? You're going to take the day off, but you'll be back on Thursday. Yep. Got to get a work thing done that I can only do during the time you need me.
1: So you've got someone covering for me. It's going to be a great show and I'll be back in your ears Wednesday more Thursday morning, Wednesday morning. Yeah,
0: morning, yep. Thursday morning and <laughs> Thursday, and our our uh, our guest host is a surprise. So tune in tomorrow for that. And uh, I, again, I really have to thank Dan Alonso for answering all of my very detailed and in the weeds questions about the Manhattan District Attorney slash New York Attorney General's investigation into the Trump organization. So thanks, Dan, again, for appearing. And uh, everybody will be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of let me try that again because i forgot what i was saying (laughs) i feel like you should leave those in (laughs) you know what i'm gonna leave it in leave that one in i'm sure everyone's laughing with us right now Uh. and which brings me to take care of your mental health (laughs)
1: Everyone, we all... Yeah, can you take care of our mental health this week, please? Thank you.
0: Uh, I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants,